Welcome to Entrepreneurial Reality with Bash. Every week we'll be speaking to startup and scale-up founders to learn about them, their ambitions for the business, goals and objectives. Every conversation is a moment in time, documenting entrepreneurs' current situation with a view to coming back next year to see how they are getting on. Each journey will be different. Each innovation could be game-changing. I hope you enjoy. very pleased to have Dan Hogston with me. If you could provide us with a bit of background as to businesses that you have built, and then we'll go into a bit more around the technology that you're looking to build. So my name is Dan Hogston. I have a background in operations management across large venues, music venues, art galleries, museums, retail. Uh, I've set up coffee shops, uh, bars within venues, currently a barber shop uh, that I own in Deptford uh, in Southeast London. Mm-hmm. And I've taken 10 years of experience uh, uh, building front of house teams and these operations and then taking that experience from larger venues and moving it, scaling it down to smaller venues like a coffee shop and a barber shop and actually seeing the success in those smaller venues when they're run with larger scale operation thinking behind them. From that, I've evolved a little bit into the tech industry. So uh, my current project, which I'm most focused on and passionate about now, uh, is my company called Yippie iPay. Yippie iPay has been an idea for the last year, but we formed it as a company four months ago. So our product is a point of sale uh, system aimed at micro businesses. We define that as businesses, which is zero to nine employees turning over under a million pounds. What our product does is basically provides a business analyst for these micro businesses in the form of an AI, taking their aggregated data, analyzing it and providing them with insights about their business. Uh, It will look at what their best performing days are, Mm -hmm. what their best products that they sell are, Mm -hmm. um, if they're a street food vendor, what locations they perform better at and what products. And as it takes that data, it will begin to form intelligent insights about the business and then make suggestions to the business owner. On top of that, it also has a consumer facing app. That app is linked directly into the point of sale and it allows consumers to do ordering ahead and collect loyalty points. And we have a tab system within our point of sale. So Um, All of the orders that come in, come in with notifications. It doesn't take you into a separate app or outside of the screen that you're using. You just tap across, accept the order. A notification goes back to the app to process that order, gives you a waiting number or a collection number, um, gives you loyalty points for doing the transaction within the app, uh, and just makes the cash out or checkout process a lot quicker because then you just take that order number, collect the item and walk away. Mm-hmm. Just to jump in there, mm-hmm. the, the loyalty schemes where you get a stamp on the card, I'm forever putting my hands in my pockets trying to find the, the right loyalty card and it's usually somewhere on a desk back in the office. So it's a major frustration of mine and you have to pick up a new one and then you don't actually realise that the return of the loyalty. So is this all digitalized then? Is that what you're so saying? Completely digitalized. Um, so I've got the same problem. I, I don't carry a wallet around anymore. I do all of my transactions through Apple Pay mm-hmm. or through an app like Deliveroo or Uber. So I, I've gone walletless, cashless, cardless, <laughs> and I'm not able to collect loyalty points in this way. And I had realized I have Vitality Life Insurance and I collect loyalty points through my activity that's collected through my Apple Watch and I get a free Starbucks coffee every week. I don't drink Starbucks coffee, so it's wasted, but it's quite fun seeing that I've each week uh, telling me I've earned a reward. And I was thinking, well, 
what about the coffee shops I do go to? So mm. the one I go to in the morning on my way into work I'm, can be in quite a rush. What if I ordered that on my app? It's a three minute walk from my front door to that coffee shop uh, and next to the station. What if I ordered that on my app? Um, it was able to bypass the queue because of the way we've built the point of sale in store or mm -hmm. will build the point of sale. They get the notification, they accept the order, the payment comes straight out of my account, the loyalty cards go on, and I just walk to the end of the counter, pick up the coffee and jump on the train. <laughs> Small business for them because if I walk past them in the morning and I see they've got two or three people in front of me and that train isn't running delayed like it normally does, <laughs> then I'm not likely to get a coffee that day. I'll have to get it from bank when I come in off the other end. I see. So how, how do you see yourself as um, being different to other technologies that are out there, the likes of Zero and their network of applications and ones that you see a point of sale already in the likes of a, a Starbucks. Point of sale can either be very expensive and not very intuitive, which is what I would call the legacy systems. And you've seen these big 15 inch touchscreens that are bespoke systems taking up a lot of space on the counter. I've actually rolled out a system with these. It was a nice looking machine. Uh, this was in 2015 uh, mm -hmm. by a company called Bleep. Um, it was a 14 inch touchscreen very nice looking, looked well in the shop, but the touchscreen wasn't great actually. And the back end wasn't very intuitive. And our finance manager, uh, this was for the music venue that we had it in and the coffee shop that was attached to the music venue. Our finance manager uh, was spending a lot of time just trying to export sales data from the back end, put it into spreadsheets and try and analyze that data. So this is where I first encountered the problem. For the barbershop and for the art gallery that I work at at the moment, I've rolled out both iZettle and Shopify. These systems are a lot cheaper and a lot more intuitive than what else is out there. However, iZettle can be quite limited in the reports that it offers you and it doesn't give you any insight into your business. They have something called iZettle Pro that gives you better reporting, but it does cost £30 a month. And I personally don't feel that it gives you value, particularly for the smaller businesses. So if we're looking at street food vendors or smaller coffee shops, they would struggle to justify spending £30 a month. Mm. So to not get a lot of value for the money that they're spending is... I don't think a lot of people are going towards the, the iZettle Pro market. They stick with the free software and try to understand the, the reports or the sales data that they get. Uh, Shopify is even more frustrating. So that one is what we use at the gallery. And you have to integrate with third-party apps. And again, you, you pay a separate price for these apps. It can be anything from 10 to 40 pounds a month to get what I would call basic reporting. And I found myself training up my team, spending hours with Excel and showing them how to actually take the data, interpret the data and put it into the type of reports that we need. These are things that are time consuming and frustrating. And with AI out there, machine learning now, you can basically get the AI to do this for you and have the data that you need presented in a way that you need in two or three seconds at the click of a button. Mm -hmm. So is this structured data and unstructured data being presented in the report? So there's the structured data based on your sales and the more data you put into our products. So mm -hmm. uh, your inventory, for example, it will take all of that data, break it down and give you insights on your sales. The future, uh, so we haven't developed this part yet, but what we're working on is introducing third party insights. So that could be a Deloitte report or CB insights, taking this industry or sector wide data, mm -hmm. having the AI introduce that into its thinking, if you will. That's An example of that could be uh, London Coffee Week is coming up. Have you thought about getting a ticket for this? Would you like to pitch? That, that sounds really powerful. Uh having industry benchmarks and then having your own business, even at a very small scale, being able to have industry benchmarking and comparing yourself, your performances, 
against that and then delivering further insight into the market as well. Could you just tell us a bit more about what your team looks like? Who else is involved in the team at the moment? How did you source them? So I've got an in-house team. Uh, it's three of us all together. So I have a CTO, his name's Keldon, and I have a, a VP of sales and marketing called Jamie. Both of them are very good friends of mine. So we've come together out of friendship. I've known Keldon for 20 years. He was actually one of my business partners in the early days as a, when I was a music promoter. Um, so Keldon's a very talented musician, as well as being a coder. And his main focus now is coding, building websites uh, more lately, or more so going towards AI and machine learning. Jamie's one of my friends from university. He's an excellent sales guy and social media influencer. <laughs> so on his personal account, he already has more than 10,000 followers on Instagram, mm -hmm. um, two and a half thousand on YouTube. So having Jamie on board, overseeing our sales and marketing is just a real asset. He He's really eager, can't wait to get the product in his hands so he can get out there selling it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Keldon's busy at the moment, um, breaking down iZettle's SDK, uh, just making sure we're fully compatible with it as a payments gateway. Okay. <laughs> and for what I bring to it as a CEO is the vision, the idea, and uh, just gluing everything together. What sort of challenges have you faced in bringing your team together, granted their friends, and mixing friends and relationships with business? So Keldon and Jamie weren't necessarily friends before coming together with this. They'd only met uh, at the start of this year or at the end of last year when I was getting a little bit more formal with putting this company together, taking it from an idea I had in my head and thinking about what team I need around me to deliver this. Mm -hmm. uh, so Keldon and Jamie are new friends getting on really well, but um, the friendships more, the, the friendships that I've had with these gentlemen outside of this company. Me and Jamie have for the last three years been trying to work on or release a business together. So we we looked at releasing an, an optician's eyewear company. Mm -hmm. So we came up with the idea, INAIs, it was the Norwegian word for eyes. It was very Scandinavian inspired eyewear. Uh, we got some mock-ups made, so even the sunglasses I wear today is uh, just two of a kind. Only me and Jamie have <laughs> the only pairs in existence, <laughs> but we got a uh, the, the initial collection made, we did sell it, but there was a lot of barriers to entry into this industry. And although we thought we could create a core cool eyewear range and use our social media skills to market it and sell it and be successful, there's barriers to entry with the finance that we needed to raise to actually build our own range and keep to our values of building it within the EU and not outsourcing to China. Okay. Um, and then the cost of the materials, of the labor, um, doing business in Greece, this was particularly a factory we were working with. Uh, so two years ago, when we were trying to do this, it, it just for whatever reason didn't come together. But part of what we needed to deliver this would have been uh, an e-commerce platform. We were looking at Shopify um, and a point of sale in store with a CRM built in and a customer database uh, mm. for the eyewear prescriptions. So a lot of where YPIP is today is birthed out of the idea that me and Jamie uh, I've been knocking around with for the last two to three years. <laughs> Phoenix out of the flames, yeah. Eh? yeah, brilliant. Who else is going to be building the platform? Is it going to be Keldon alone or would you be broadening that, that team over time? So to validate the idea, we actually went to a company called Ucreate and we did a four week program with them where we took them the idea, our assumptions, and they did market research. They validated the idea for us with hard stats did competitor analysis for us. We had already done it, but it was good for them to do it as a third party. Mm -hmm. They built uh, some of the UI for us. So uh, I did some wireframes and then they took that idea and have uh, 
uh, converted that into a, a working UI now, uh, of which we have a, a prototype demo. Um, so the the AI itself isn't coded yet. So you, you're seeing you're seeing some of the reporting uh, constraints of the likes of Izettle and Shopify, and you're complementing the existing infrastructure that other organisations are using as well as maybe replacing in the future. That's correct. So um, if you're an Izettle user already. The idea would be that you can just log into our software with your iZettle account um, and then your sales data will funnel through our point of sale and our AI will begin to analyze that for you and produce the reports. We're also focusing on UI and actually making it fun. What we're building is notifications within the user experience itself. So when you close a shift and it happens to be your best day, uh, you're going to get an emoji uh, celebration, a celebration emoji coming up saying, yippee, you've had your best day. <laughs> oh, is that where the name comes from? It comes then? from the, it's a diehard influence, but <laughs> <laughs> our user interface uh, has been gamified. So it creates leaderboards of what your best products are, what your best days are. Um, and it presents it in a way as if you was looking at a scoreboard at a game or playing a video game. Yeah, I love gaming as well. I've got friends in the industry. Where do you see yourself in the next 12 months? You still got to complete the, the platform, take it to market. Have you got customers already? We've got potential customers. Um, we've got two, uh, a street food operator is quite interested in going cashless. We've had some initial conversations with them about potentially rolling our platform out uh, to any of their new businesses at least and getting their iZettle customers on board with it. So then look at having a universal loyalty scheme within a street food market actually brings a sense of community cohesion. Um, so this particular operator was interested in that. It's quite promising and we're looking uh, that once we've got this ready to go, that there would be an initial 20, 30 customers that might come on board. So when when do you think you'll go live? We, we are looking for investment right now. The investment basically enables us to expand our team. So it won't just be Keldon building it, but actually bring on three or four more developers mm -hmm. and gives Jamie a salary to go full time so he can be out selling this thing. <laughs> okay. With that, we I've tried to structure, I don't know if it's a unique business, model or investment plan with our money and milestones uh, but what I would like if I was investing in, in it so for £150,000 investment is what we're trying to seek right now we know that we need to get 500 customers in the next year to see £100,000 turnover so, so how much are you charging then? Uh, so we're looking at £25. We've come up with this figure because it's cheaper than Shopify and iZettle Pro mm -hmm. and from speaking to micro business owners, we think it's the price that they're comfortable paying for a monthly service. Okay. Um, we come to that because zero was 25 pounds when a lot of people signed up for it and it's slowly creeping up to nearly 30 pounds. And I've heard some complaints. <laughs> so I've come to think that 25 pounds is about the right price for software as a service for micro businesses. Okay, great. And it, it, of course it's about ease of implementation, uh, speed of deployment, ease of use and um, of course, you sound based on your design methodology and gamification, you're going to get greater user engagement, which which is good to hear. And so with the investment, have you actively gone out to different uh, methods of raising the funds just yet? So we are part of a network, um, which we've joined through UCreate. 
We are just working on a few final things before we go out to investment. So mm -hmm. I don't think August is probably the best time no, definitely to not. try and raise investment. So probably from the start of September, our pitch deck and our prototype will go out to our network of investors. Mm -hmm. um, and then we will see what comes back and then probably look to go wider if we're not getting the right type of investor. Mm. So as a company, uh, me particularly as an individual, I'm not just looking for an investor uh, who's looking to just put some cash in and then get a cash return in a few years time mm. without really being too actively involved with us as the founders. So I'd say it that way because obviously an investor doesn't want to be too involved with the business necessarily, but we would like to build personal relationship with the investor, get some insights from them. Hopefully they've got experience, mm -hmm. uh, similar experience that can help us with our journey. So we have a mentor or a sounding board that we can go to, mm -hmm. um, someone who may be interested in taking a board seat or at least uh, in an advisory role in the company as well. Interesting. And, and so what would the profile look like in terms of the market that you're looking to address? What sort of value added skills and knowledge and network would you be looking for? Definitely uh, a fintech investor or a tech investor uh, with uh, experience in fintech. We know that it's easy to use iZettle and Shopify as gateways, particularly for the point of sale. Mm -hmm. However, the consumer app is going to need something more similar to Deliveroo, which uh, has got some barriers in itself that we're going to have to cross and this might be six to nine months down the line so we're probably looking for an investor that has a little bit more experience with this maybe some fca knowledge uh, although we do have someone else uh, who's a director at an investment bank uh, who is willing to be a voice into our company and come on our board and help us with this that's good that's good what investment bank don't know if i'm allowed to say oh, okay. at the moment <laughs> well, uh, I, can, I can say it's a russian investment bank <laughs> Oh, I see. With, with cool. a major office uh, in the UK. How much equity actually are you looking to to sell as part of the investment? Between 10 and 20% per round of investment. It would be a conversation with the investor. Mm -hmm. um, if it's on the higher end of the 20%, what value are they bringing beyond the capital mm -hmm. um, for that? But we, we need to be left with a lot of the company really because... Uh, 150,000 angel investment, we need to be at seed within the next year, which is going to be in excess of a million. And if we get to series A, uh, so we need to be left with some of the company after all of these rounds. Of course, yeah, there is a point when you, you, you've got to trade off, well, how much of the company you're giving up and the idea that you're giving up and you're putting all the time and effort in. Well, we left with what's Then the you don't get the return for <laughs> yeah. all the effort and the, the blood, sweat and tears because it's quite impactful across your life. Uh, I must admit, based on the entrepreneurs I've met already, it's a lot of time and investment up front and then not necessarily to realize the validation from the markets as well. And that's where it's interesting how, how quickly could you get yourself being profitable as a business, generating money, then may not necessarily need to go back to the, the money markets. For so, growth. Certainly with the model that we're launching with, we may not need Series A. <laughs> okay. I might be wrong, but I think Mu the business card makers they didn't need to go as far as series a they they raised seed mm -hmm. and then they because uh, they're monetized straight away they're actually able to just grow organically um to becoming where they're at which i think is a billion dollar valuation um and i may i may not have my facts right on this but it was my understanding that they didn't need series a okay so what that's six months into the 12 months of where you're going to be you've received your funding you've invested in your team you've invested in the product you go into market and selling. 
uh, you said to, to realize the return, you need 500 customers. Mm -hmm. uh, would that make you profitable then? Yes, we will be from the 500 customers. Okay. So um, we'd still be a small company. <laughs> we'd, be, uh, we'd be covering our, our operating costs and uh, perhaps have a profit. <laughs> yes, well, fingers crossed. And, and so would you, realize, would you commit to say 500? Uh, so we obviously want more than that, mm -hmm. um, but we are certainly looking for the 500 to be a beta group. So a model of having a sales guy out signing up people is mm -hmm. not scalable, no. um, particularly when you want to go beyond London. Uh, so we are doing that. Jamie will go out and get the 500 initial customers, but that should be enough to cover our operating costs and present a good case to get a seed investor, which we're looking to raise over a million at that point and then scale the business uh, in a similar way to, well, as a tech company, people download the product from the app stores, pay us a subscription. We use marketing channels. A bit of growth hacking <laughs> yeah, uh, to get out there. <laughs> so to become truly scalable, we will need the seed investment to do that. But we should cover all of our operating costs with our angel investment and have somewhat, if not a tiny profit. So, so for the benefit of the listeners, could you explain a little bit more about what you mean by marketing channels and the sort of growth hacking that you're looking to achieve? How, how do you go about doing that and what does it mean? Growth hacking, I would define as getting ourselves out there really quickly uh, with the least amount of investment into the marketing channels. So a traditional marketing campaign might look at billboard posters. It might look at um, would have been in the past radio advertising or television advertising. But I think that more now budget will look at social media advertising, uh, perhaps YouTube and more specialist channels, particularly for us as we're food and drinks. So we might look at caffeine magazine or um, the craft beer industry magazines. Mm. That could be quite a big budget. So growth hacking would give us a good amount of um, potential customers uh, with the least amount of spend. And it would do that through doing very targeted adverts, perhaps on Facebook, I use Facebook a lot myself, but I know a lot of people do use it, uh, Instagram, and you would do a short run ad, you would see what resonates with the customers, and then you would go back and really push that a little bit harder, get people to come to a landing page with a sign up option, collect their data, um, obviously complying with GDPR, yes, <laughs> uh, collect their data and, uh, and then follow that up uh, to try and convert that to an acquisition. A lot more focused, uh, so you would look at targeting specifically coffee shop owners or craft beers uh, operators or breweries. So test uh, the micro verticals effectively. Yeah, effectively. Mm. Thank you for that. So that's the end of the 12 months and uh, I'd love for you to come back and share your journey. There are a few more questions I'd like to ask and is there anything in particular that, that you're experiencing that you'd recommend the listeners or to the listeners? Validation of the idea, I think for me was key. So. I'd like to think I'm quite intuitive uh, with how technology trends work. Um, although this is my first tech company, uh, I'm a massive techie geek. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the things like Apple Pay, uh, how it's taken off, it's something I thought about that I would like years before it was ever released. Mm -hmm. I thought I didn't want to carry around even cash. So with contactless, I didn't even want to carry the card around. I have a phone, that's all I want to have in my pocket. And I'm very glad that uh, this idea I had, like the market saw it and Apple Pay, Android Pay, Samsung Pay, whatever's out there now, uh, has cottoned on really quickly, particularly in London. But I've also noticed that 
I in Europe in Paris in in Norway where I went to the end of last year on short trips uh, actually I didn't really need to carry my wallet around with me much there either that's just one um, so just with with regards to the validation of the idea you went to Ucreate to help create a proof of concept explore the market and do market research then you've tested it with a few people or put the idea across to a few people and said yes, yes so, this will work so we've done initial um, user testing and market research uh, with Ucreate mm. uh, the idea has been validated so I'm feeling confident now that we can get this out there and it will work. For me, I, I could have just done this without that. We could have gone on a gut feeling. It might have, it might still have been successful, but it would have taken a lot longer. So I'm a big fan of uh, category creation. Are there any particular competitors that you see at the moment? So what would be when we release ourselves, uh, our product, uh, Vend is a company. They would be a direct competitor. Um, they're offering a point of sale that's compatible with iZettle and deeper insights and analytics and data and user experience. So very similar to us. However, I find them to be quite expensive. So they're aimed at more of the medium-sized enterprises that have multiple locations. Mm -hmm. And they charge starting at £80 a month and upwards, which is wow. not really okay. affordable for our micro-businesses. So what we have found in our research uh, that in the time that we spent with Ucreate was that all of the big companies are completely underserving the micro-business market. Micro-businesses actually make up 22% of all UK turnover, hmm. and yet it's uh, a market that's underserved. It also makes up 96% of the total businesses in the UK, uh, with an 18% uh, estimated growth in the next five years. <laughs> wow, thank you. That's quite an interesting stat, considering they, they haven't been served. But what's the lifetime of a business that's so small? Because there's so many different variables in the environment. Um, so actually, as an owner of a micro business myself, which would be the barbershop, um, we look at, we basically hit the 100K mark in turnover uh, per year. Um, this is a, sh a shop that I've owned, just a single location uh, for two and a half years. What, once we hit 85K, we're then liable to pay VAT. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a 20% chunk out of our business. And actually this type of industry is only about 20% profitable because barbers are self-employed usually and they take a big commission and a big cut. So most of the turnover of the shop goes back towards the barber. And okay, you, we don't sell a lot of products and we're not product focused, it's a service focus. Um, but what we're left with gets eaten up really quickly with VAT. Uh, it could be corporation tax, so depending on how you structure your company. Mm -hmm. uh, we're quite lucky in the sense that we structured this as a limited liability partnership. So we're not hit with corporation tax, only what we take from the company, we pay personal tax on. Okay. Um, a lot of the, the micro businesses that we'll be serving with API pay will be in a similar boat. They're around about £100,000 turnover. They don't want to be paying £80 a month or £40 a month probably for software because they won't see the value in it um, when that adds up to six, £700 over a year. Uh, and they've got a tax bill of several thousand pounds, which is quite costly to them. It's not something they can just write off or put under the carpet. You know, that's a big chunk out of their livelihood. Mm. Mm. Thank you. So what book are you reading at the moment? I consume most of my content uh, probably through video rather than through reading. Mm -hmm. um, part of the reason for that is, is that I am a little bit dyslexic and I don't get the same enjoyment out of reading. Mm -hmm. I'm just not able to retain the information as well when I'm reading a book. And then in terms of what I would recommend, so uh, if you are watching a lot of YouTube, there's a, a documentary channel called Cold Fusion. Um, it looks at uh, the tech industry and basically breaks down some of the big ideas 
a recent episode would have been on Google's uh, latest AI that they released that's able to have a conversation over the phone to book a, a beauty appointment or um, order a taxi. And they basically looked at the ethics behind that. Should Google be doing it? What type of company are Google? What's their strategy? Why was a lot of the industry outraged by this uh, Google duplex? And uh, they thought it were, they were completely comfortable to release it. I look a lot of bl uh, blockchain, which is something I'm particularly interested in and something we explored with UPI Pay. They look a lot at solar energy and renewable energies, which is a topic I'm massively interested in. Mm. I probably watch uh, about 30 minutes to an hour of YouTube videos a day. I might watch that on the train on my commute home, um, or I might watch it uh, at home in the evening if I've got any time to do that. <laughs> yeah, great, great. I've just read an article actually about uh, some of the really successful uh, business owners and entrepreneurs that uh, have the, is it the five hour law? And uh, it's about spending five hours a week dedicated to learning, so an hour a day. So that's really interesting you say that. Okay, so, and talking about entrepreneurs, which entrepreneur or business owner are you following that you admire? Uh, the cliched answer, Elon Musk is probably, uh, I'd say, a hero of mine at the moment. What he stands for uh, with um, trying to change the world with renewable energies. Look at Tesla, for example. And uh, he was asked recently, um, okay, all of the major players now in the car industry are adopting and uh, making uh, EVs. What do you think about that? Is that going to destroy Tesla? And he simply said, if it does destroy Tesla, I've achieved my goal because my goal was to get EVs out there uh, to stop relying on petrol and fossil fuels. Where he goes beyond Tesla, he obviously owns uh, SpaceX, which is his other big company that he's known for. Um, he's made space flight uh, a lot cheaper than what NASA could do it. Um, competing with Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin. Um, is he going to be the first one to get to Mars before NASA does or anyone else? Um, what could he find on Mars? What could he bring back in terms of minerals? Uh, how has that changed technology? Mm. So just the way Elon Musk thinks about humanity's future and then how we can enrich that, I'm particularly inspired by. And hopefully the ideas that I have for the future might not be massively far away with some of my interests in renewable energy and sustainable farming. Yeah, that's really interesting you say that because it just uh, brings an idea to my mind. It's not a, a race to the a race to space or a race to Mars from a country perspective anymore. It's a race based on governments and corporations. So do they work in partnership or do they work independently of each other and who will get there first? It's kind of a dynamic we can't answer today, but it's certainly a conversation I'd love to have over a beer. Mm -hmm. Is there a, a, a sport you play or you like following? Um, I have played American football. <laughs> I wasn't amazing at it. <laughs> um, when I was at university, I was actually a founder and a president of the Basketball Bulldogs American football team. Cool. Um, where this came from, I wanted to be involved in the rugby socials, but couldn't get on the rugby team. <laughs> so we set up the American football team and uh, it was great. We, we had 30 players. We had a great group of friends that we made through this. Uh, we played every Sunday morning, mainly in practice. Uh, but in my 18 months of getting this team off the ground, I was very, very proudly got them into the British University's American Football League, um, helped to raise it was an initial £6,000. And then we went on to raise uh, another £6,000 for the second year. This uh, paid for kit for everybody. Um, 
paid for our buses, the ambulances we needed to book and have on site for our games. Uh, we had the uh, Bath Bowl, as we called it, which was uh, Bath University against Bath Spa. Um, uh, we went to Bristol and played uh, one of the better teams in the league, the Barracudas, and got absolutely destroyed, but had a lot of fun in doing that. <laughs> in, in the world of business, in the world of entrepreneurship, having that trait of winning, overcoming adversity uh, and finding a way, whether it's through or around the problem uh, and overcoming that, uh, does sing true to across many entrepreneurs. So I, I think that's a trait that's very valuable. The, the question that will change every year in terms of your answer, uh, if you could be so kind as to tell me what would you do differently based on what you know now? Um, what I would do differently, so just looking at some of the costs that we've incurred with some of the early development. Um, now, uh, the tech industry is less of a mystery to me. I see how it works. It's not massively dissimilar to how operations management works in venues, um, how the teams and the processes work. So I have a much better understanding of that now, and I probably wouldn't have spent so much money in the early days of this company in getting the answers that I needed to get us to where we are right now. Thank you. That completes our conversation for, for this year. I, I'm really happy that you spent the time with me, Dan, and uh, it's great to hear your experiences to date and, and your ambitions for the future. And hopefully you'll come back in 12 months time to share your journey and experiences again. Yep, absolutely looking forward to that. Looking forward to sharing with you um, that we did get that investment. Looking forward to saying that we are where we said we're going to be uh, in a year's time and actually look about what the future looks like beyond our initial uh, 500 customers. Great, I wish you every success. Thank you. So what do you think? We'll have another interesting story to dive into next week. Looking forward to it already. Some questions to you in the meantime. What is your story? What is your reality right now? And what are you working towards? Let me know. So you can connect with me on Twitter. Just type in Bash in the search and you'll find me. So Bash, B-A-S-H. Easy. On Instagram, it's Bash Reality. So that's Bash underscore reality. And on LinkedIn, Benjamin Ashmore. Make sure you subscribe and until next week, cheers.